That that movie is like a biological weapon. It's against the Geneva Convention to stream it. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Never fear change. Life is too short for fear. Chase what is desired. I can do this all day. Would you mind identifying what you are? We're the best friend squad. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Welcome to the rodeo. Ladies and gentlemen, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. This is the way. I have spoken. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fandy Show, Torture Cinema. The most incompetent grant administration on film since the Wild Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to come back to that for sure. (laughs) I'm Sean. I'm Alex. And I'm Paul. And we're here today for Torture Cinema to talk about 2010's Jonah Hex. Ooh. He can talk to the dead. Which is not in the comics. No, it's not. There's a lot of things in this that aren't in the comics. <laughs> the comics. You know, I have not read the comics. We'll get to that. <laughs> Honestly, once you re- find out what the comics set up this character for, like how he's set up, uh, you- you'll be a little bit annoyed that this movie didn't have the cojones to actually follow that narrative. Mm. Yeah, so we're here for Jonah Hex. Our Patreon supporters voted for this on a poll of terrible superhero movies. And they had many options, and they chose Jonah Hex as the primary one. I'm very disappointed that you did not choose the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury film, which I have seen, (laughs) and is absolutely banana pants bonkers, which is why it is just a delight to watch. But you picked Jonah Hex because I guess you wanted us to be mean to DC today, which is definitely what's about to happen. DC and its continued inability to make a superhero film that is absolute garbage. They so struggle. They have it's, They're it's trying like, so hard, and yet they cannot do it unless Christopher Nolan is in charge. <laughs> it is. Well, in any case, we're here to talk about Jonah Hex, so we will be doing that uh, while commiserating about DC. But before we get to that, we got to talk about what we're drinking, because normally we have some form of a beverage, occasionally alcoholic. And so, Alex, we'll jump to you. What are you drinking? So, I'm starting my podcast off with a glass of cherry truffle cider from the Merriweather Cider Company in Boise, Idaho. It's quite delicious. And then I will be finishing it up, or following it up rather, with a can of Galactic Cowboy Imperial Stout from Left Hand Brewing Company, which is a nitro beer. So... That sounds delightful. What is a nitro beer? So it's got, um, the the bubbles in it are, are... are nitrogen instead of carbon dioxide, so it's much tinier bubbles and it doesn't foam as much. No, 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 no. That's that's completely inaccurate, Alex. I know for a fact that you have seen the Fast and Furious franchise. You know the correct answer to this. <laughs> uh, the the nitro is actually so. Actually, what you do is I take I take this can and there is a little switch on the bottom that I flip, <laughs> and then I go about fifty miles an hour fast. Correct. And flames shoot out of my butt. Yeah, yeah, that's precisely how this works. That's how Alex ran a marathon last year. Totally, exactly. just nothing but nitro beers. It was like, remember that scene in in Kung Fu Hustle? That was me running with like, but with flames shooting out of my butt. <laughs> I didn't think I didn't think Kung Fu Hustle could be improved because it's a delightful movie. But at, adding flames shooting out of the characters, but as their as their feet are running like a like a speedy Gonzalez. Yeah, that's an improvement, I gotta admit. <laughs> yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you, Alex, for telling us what you're drinking. 
What about you, Paul? What are you what are you imbibing at the moment? I am just imbibing since it's a work night for me and tomorrow is more work. I am just imbibing some icy, but I also have a slice of my freshly made from my mother my deceased mother's recipe pumpkin bread, which actually came out okay. Yes! I believed in you! And I just had to refrigerate it to make it work afterwards. Yeah, you gotta let it cool all the way. I ha- I had to let it cool all the way down and now it's now it's tender, and now it's tasty, and I am happy. It's not perfect, but it's good enough. All right, well, as for myself, I attempted in a very short amount of time to make kind of like an apple cider hot toddy, but I forgot that I actually have rum, and so I put vodka in with an angry orchard with a cinnamon stick and some nutmeg, and uh, pouring the rest of the angry orchard did help, uh, but, but before, it was, it was n- not good at all oh dear uh, it, it, that, that, oh dear it it hurt going down let's just say that but it's a little better now yes. that there's more apple cider than vodka so that would help yeah but yeah so i'm gonna be slightly messed up so this is gonna be good well we had to watch this movie so we're already mm-hmm. off off footed anyway well i watched it twice so sean i i just want you to love yourself baby. <laughs> I just wanted to understand this movie. There is nothing there to understand. In fact, <laughs> this is actually a good moment for me to move into the summary so I can explain to the listeners why there is actually nothing in here to understand. All right, go for it. Perfect segue time. Jonah Hex is a movie that is an hour and 21 minutes long, including the credits, though actually according to the Microsoft Xbox store, it's an hour and 22, whatever. And it is a movie that either needed to be longer so that there could be... I don't know, character development, question mark? Or needed to be shorter because there was not actually any there there. It is the story of Jonah Hex, who is a guy in the Confederate Army during the Civil War, and I think we'll probably talk about some of the Civil War stuff later because, boy howdy do I have some opinions. And... He's just like, well, I wasn't a bad man. And then one day, um, by the way, Jonah Hex is played by Josh Brolin, who is trying his hardest, bless his heart. One day, uh, he got some orders that were really bad. And so he, he didn't take them and it ended up getting his best friend killed. It's very nonspecific and weird and you're not sure what's going on. And it kind of get explained later. And then you find out that the best friend he got killed was the son of John Malkovich in a bad wig who plays uh, General Turnbull. And in revenge, General Turnbull murders Jonah's family in front of him. And Jonah is super upset and like almost dies, but is kind of resurrected by a mystical Native American rite. More on that later too, I'm certain. And and he decides to just go be an asshole and be a bounty hunter because Turnbull fakes his own death. He's just kind of an asshole and a bounty hunter. And then Turnbull shows back up and is like, I'm going to destroy the United States on its 100th anniversary with this bullshit weapon we made up. And there is a President Grant who is... Designed by Eli Whitney, of all people. Poor yeah. Eli Whitney's estate, it must be grieving. Yeah, and, and President Grant, who is played not nearly as well as when Kevin Klein did it in Wild Wild West, is very concerned and for some reason decides the only person who can take care of it is Jonah Hex. So Jonah Hex is super mad when he finds out the Turnbull is actually mad, actually still alive, and then he goes and hunts him down, and also, for reasons that I still don't understand, Megan Fox is in this movie as a prostitute, but it's still not the worst thing that's ever happened to her, because that would be the Transformers franchise. (laughs) 
in the end, Turnbull gets defeated, and Jonah Hex is like, I'm gonna go do other stuff, and rides away. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Well, okay, so uh, we could go on this long conversation about the wonders of the DCEU and the films that preceded it, but of course, we're here to talk about Jonah Hex, and so we, we must get to our first likes, and that goes to Alex. Alex, your first like, please. My first like is that this movie is only 82 minutes long. The, oh, it, it's, uh, that, that, that's it? That's it. <laughs> it's short. Period. It End of very story. Short. Wow. In a technical sense, it was actually still longer than it needed to be for the amount of plot that was in the movie. But I appreciate the fact that they decided to tell us about their lack of plot in 82 minutes instead of 152 minutes, which is, you know, kind of more common in, in torture cinema stuff. In fact, I think this might be one of the shorter torture cinema movies we've ever watched, except maybe Damnation Alley. It's pretty short, and for the kind of film that this is meant to be, it's shockingly short. This is meant to be like a like a blockbuster film. This is supposed to have, like, meat and potatoes. It's supposed to have, like, a big, you know fanfare and all of that and this film feels it to me it feels like it's it's like 10 years too late yeah i I was actually really surprised that this was a 2010 movie right it doesn't feel like it it feels like it comes from the like they made this movie the same year they made wild wild west like that's what it feels like and this is the the worst film yeah and then wild Wild west was 99 so yeah the movie could have been longer, but it compresses all of Jonah Hex's backstory into that short little comic scene of two minutes where he dumps 15 minutes worth of plot into there or tries yeah. to, or just explains to you. So, I mean, if that had actually been actual movie footage, the movie could have been longer. And I just checked Damnation Alley's 91 minutes, so this one's shorter. Okay, this one's actually shorter than Damnation Alley. This definitely feels like a film that Despite its its main plotline being really simple, it has moments where it just seems like it jumps ahead really quickly instead of at least focusing on character development, which is like a fresh. I find that really frustrating. Like there's this moment in the middle where he he gets shot a bunch and he gets rescued by Native Americans again, and he just like gets up from his chair and goes. Jim Turnbull and just yells his name, and then it's like him like riding in the sunset like fucking Ghost Rider. It just jumps. It like leaps to this conclusion without necessarily building any of those components up to get us there. And even still, like some of the plot points, like, for example, uh, you know, Irish Magneto, who basically steals, uh, he, he kidnaps uh, Lila. And that plot point doesn't really have a resolution. It just sort of she appears for a moment. and It's like, oh, we got her. And it's like, but he's not going to rescue her. That's not why he's there. So why? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I was frustrated at times. Like, okay, so you have this thing and you don't use it as a plot point because, spoiler, Magneto dies. We're even telling Jonah Hex that he had kidnapped her and we just find her later in Turnbull's clutches. It's like, so you set, set up this whole little subplot with the dragon and don't pay it off in any particular way. It's like, no, that's not how, that's how movies... Movie storytelling works, guys. Also, I, I just need to correct you. It is Irish Magneto. That is his official name in the IMDb. Okay, yeah. Irish Magneto. Thank I you. apologize. <laughs> yeah, I will say, like, when, when I was kind of like looking, you know, desultorily looking up stuff about this movie as I was watching it because there wasn't a whole lot going on. I saw that that you know, kind of like the reception. Everyone was like, "Oh, it's incoherent," and blah blah blah. And I'm like, 
I know what incoherent looks like because I've watched some fucking incoherent movies for torture cinema. This one was perfectly coherent. It was just boring and didn't have a lot to say. I mean, I guess you could say there was an incoherency in, in like, why is Megan Fox even here? But, yeah. like, the plot was actually sensical in as much as there was a plot. I, I, I mean, I mean we, we, we get a kind of character drive in that we find out that Jonah Hex's wife was Native American and that and was killed by Turnbull, and we we see we used to see the burning of the burning of them in the homestead, which kind of reminded me of the Patriot in in some uh, weird way. Yeah, kind of. It's a, just like, but but Turnbull has it has a thing for killing civilians throughout this entire movie, often by fire. He's like he's like a little pyromaniac uh, general that we got who likes to burn people alive, apparently. But and which kind of which I think we're discussing on on this quite a time, which kind of makes me think of John Carter. So when you drop Megan Fox into this movie as not even much more than eye candy and without any really connection to the whole plot and she gets shoehorned in, it does just not work. It's like either develop her as a character or just leave her out entirely. I mean, you are you trying to sell tickets? Were they trying to sell tickets by having Megan Fox in the movie in a prostitute stripper outfit? Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, the answer to that is Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, given the box office, they failed in that approach. Part of the issue I have is, I agree with Alex, like, in terms of the story being coherent, it is a coherent story. Like, you can follow it from start to finish. The the biggest problems seem to be that, like, it doesn't want to develop really any of its things. It just, it's like throwing them out there. Like, oh, this character has this thing, and this character has this thing, and this character has this thing, and Megan Fox is Mm -hmm. here looking hot. And, like, that's... That's it's just kind of there, but it's not it, they don't really say like what is the central the like the metaphor or the theme or the issue that we want to develop and let's develop that more. And the film doesn't seem to want to do that. It just sort of wants to get to its conclusion. I, I would argue based on Alex's like get to the conclusion reasonably quickly for a blockbuster and and just get there and be done with it. And that I think makes this not as good a film because it doesn't think about those bigger uh, consequences, which I realize we're just trashing the film right now in what's supposed to be the likes. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, it, but you are correct that it has, it has no interest in character development and it has no interest in theme. It it really is just like, and, and the reason the movie can be as quick as it is and still tell what is technically a complete story with a beginning, middle and end is that it is basically like they took you know, the the three by five note cards that were the outline for where a script should go. And they just filmed those scenes and strung them together. And we're like, well, there you go. We made a movie. And you're like, okay, well, at least it didn't take that much of my morning up. You know, I had a cup of tea. I ate some toast. I sat there with my cat. He was actually kind of mad because I got up sooner than he thought I would. So it really didn't disturb my life too much. And I can like that about it because I would have been way more pissed if it had been <laughs> like an hour longer. It's still shocking. An hour twenty one minutes is really, really short, even in two thousand ten. Well, I actually just went and I was like, "What other really short, you know, kind of short torture cinemas?" Are... This movie is shorter than Mac and Me. Oh, that's wild to me, because Mac and Me, Mac and Me has a really ripping plot. It just moves that that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, okay, so I I think we we've hammered this uh this the short runtime and some of its problems and benefits. And so we'll jump over to Paul. What is your first like, Paul? 
So I will say that the Louisiana Board of Tourism and provided lots of lovely scenery and architecture and set pieces for for this movie, including including the fictional Fort Resurrection and lots of Louisiana Bayou. I mean, I I will get to geography probably in my dislike, but the actual terrain and what we see and that and that nice fort we have, one of the, one of the set piece battles in is all lovely filmed and lovely places to visit and I would love to see and photograph them so so what we see looks good but we never stay in a place long enough i mean even the little western town at the beginning of the movie has that very convincing south dakota very clapboard slapped together sort of town in the middle of nowhere where he has his confrontation with the uh treacherous quote sheriffs it feels right that it's those towns were that kind of ramshackle and i like that it the movie looks and feels good. I mean, even 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 the crappy super weapon looks interesting. I mean, these these energy balls that apparently explode things. At least at least it's at least it's an interesting looking super weapon, and we see him firing firing the gun on on the Capitol. It's like, and while I have big problems with how the how the U.S. Navy um, handled the confrontation, at least it, at least. What U.S. Navy? What are you talking about? There was one ship. <laughs> yes, I, yes, the U.S. Navy. He said, he said, the, the one whole Navy. Yes, one, one little iron. It wasn't even a full ship. It was like they just put a piece of metal in the water and had people stand on it. <laughs> one, sh- one ship and it went kaboom pretty fast. They were on a budget. But yeah. So I appreciate the visuals in this movie. For as short as this movie was, as Alex pointed out. I mean, maybe if they lingered longer, then the cinematographer would have screwed things up, but we didn't stay in any anything long enough to hate it. I mean, even as it was not much of a plot, I, I kind of like the visuals of the quasi half-in, half-out world that we see him falling into now and again where he's fighting Turnbull. I don't know why they needed to feel the need to do that when he was actually fighting him in real life, but at least looked Fighting basically in the quarry, so I I I felt Doctor Who vibes when he's fighting Turnbull in the quarry in his mind. So you know that felt good too. I will say that I did I did like the visual of the sort of like that red clay kind of dirt that's in his I guess visions or whatever you want to call those. Yeah, yeah, that's like Louisiana dirt. Yeah, and it it was I liked that visual, especially like the image of his face when his eyes open and he sort of comes out of it like that. That was a pretty neat visual. And there is some cool stuff they do with crows, which I think, you know, I like crows. I, I like it was it was competently shot. It was competently shot. I mean, I'm stretching here a little bit, but, you know, I had to find something like about this movie. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there. And I, and I took the easy one. Yeah, fair. But I guess that means we got to come to me for my my like. And I think folks will have already figured it out because it is, in my opinion, the only good thing about this movie, which is the dog. Oh, because he meets cute. this this dog that he basically like rescues and becomes his friend. And for a brief moment, I was filled with such immense joy that we were going to have Josh Brolin with his messed up face prosthetic having conversations with his dog that he just met and it was just going to be these snarky conversations. The dog would talk back a little bit and they would just kind of like, that was going to be his one big relationship. 
He was just going to be friends with this dog and he'd be this gruff like western dude with all of the the you know burns and everything and this dog would be this loyal dog and it'd be his best bud. And then he, the dog and the horse were like that was going to be the story. And that it wasn't going to be Megan Fox, it was going to be him and the dog, like maybe maybe the, the Irish Magneto steals his dog and he's like I ain't taking that shit. I'm going to fuck that's, you that's up. That's very John Wick of you to think. I mean to be fair, the dog had just as much character development as Megan Fox. True. <laughs> but the dog was so cute. And I just, the second it showed up, I was like, oh, please let this be what this movie's going to be from now on. Please. I also will say, I feel like the dog was actually phoning it in a lot less than Megan Fox. I feel like the dog <laughs> was actually happy to be there and, and Megan Fox was not. And I hope she fired her agent after this movie. Well, Megan Fox, I will say, considers this to be her worst film. <laughs> which is not interesting. Uh, I will also say that by... Uh, it's interesting that you say that the dog seemed to be not phoning it in by comparison and was happy to be there because the dog had to spend an hour in a makeup chair to get its, like, mongrel look. Yeah, and it, and it looked... I mean, it just looked like it had stuff that got dripped. I don't know what they were doing to that dog's fur. It did not look good, and it was totally unnecessary. It it was. It could have just been whatever breed that dog is, and I think they, they would have been fine. I just love the dog. I Like, there's this moment where you just really think that this is going to be the story, and he names his horse Horse. Like, they ask him what his horse's name is, and he just says, It's Horse. And I was just like, please name the dog Dog. But he just looks at the dog and he goes, I don't even know what to say to you. And then he walks away. And I was like, this is great. I want more of this. This is what I want. Yeah, he has more character chemistry with the dog than any other character short of Turnbull and the Sun. And those are questionable too. I don't know. Like like I said, I felt in this movie, like Josh Brolin was trying. He was trying really was. hard. He wanted this movie, clearly. More than... More than most of everybody else in the show. And, and I feel like him and the dog were the only ones who were trying. Because, like, when I realized that that was John Malkovich in a bad wig, I was like, okay, we are in for, for a ride here. Because I ain't ever seen a movie where John Malkovich was not, like, gnawing on the scenery. And I don't know, like, what drugs they gave that man every time they were going to film a scene with him. He was just, like, absent. He was, he was Xanaxed, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, John Malkovich, what did they do to you? So I will just say this, on the subject of Josh Brolin apparently really wanting this role, I don't think Josh Brolin wanted this role nearly as much as Thomas Jane. Who? Because Thomas Jane showed interest in this role so much that he took pictures of himself in costume complete with makeup and everything to recreate the facial scarring of the character. Uh, he wanted this role really badly. Uh, and he did eventually get to play him in an animated short, but... Yeah, he wanted this role and wasn't considered for it. That's sad. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, uh, oh, oh, I forgot the name of the actress, uh, who really wanted to play Catwoman, and she's always dressed up in the role and went all out and didn't get the role. I forgot the, I forgot the actress who did that. Well, whoever it was probably was more interesting than when Halle Berry did it, which is a torture cinema film we have yet to do because it's never available to stream. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, Thank that, that's God. because that, that movie is like a biological weapon. It's against the Geneva Convention to stream it. <laughs> yeah, very true. Well, okay. I think, I think we're struggling with likes, and I think that means that we have to turn over to our dislikes. And so, Alex, what is your dislike for this movie? 
So there are a lot of things, and and, and I do want to talk about, like, you know, comparing this to our other two Wild West torture cinema films, because I feel like that is also a fruitful conversation. But my number one dislike that that just fucking haunts this film is, okay, they made a movie about a, a ex-Confederate, whatever he rank he was, because he was more than a soldier, obviously, versus an ex-Confederate general. And they go almost the entire movie without ever fucking mentioning what, you know, the whole reason the Civil War was fought, as in slavery. There is, like, only one black person in the entire movie, and he is there for this incredibly fucking awkward scene that just is, like, randomly out of nowhere. Because I think they, they got to the point where they were like, wow, we're, like, halfway through this movie about former Confederates and maybe we should explain to modern viewers why Jonah Hex is not a terrible person, even though he fought for the Confederacy. So we're going to have him go talk to a black man so the black man can absolve him of this by being like, oh, I know you weren't into slavery, Jonah. You just didn't like being told what to do. Yeah, he was almost like a, a Negro sin eater for Jonah Hex. Yeah, I was just like, what is this? <laughs> well, and, and then, I mean, I will mention... Like, the only other time slaver is mentioned in the entire movie, which, again, is about a bunch of ex-Confederates fighting each other, is when they mention that General Turnbull had Mexican slaves. Which I was just like, where the fuck were they? But okay. Mexican slaves? Yeah, that's like, what? Yes, and they called him the Terrorista. And I was just like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Terrorista. What is this fucking movie? And, and like, because you could tell, I, I was just like... They spend the entire movie trying to not have this conversation at all because they know it's fucking awkward. And then they they, they make it as bad as it can possibly be. So uh, let me tell you about Jonah Hex, the comic book character. And oh you will probably be even more annoyed about what this film turned out to be. Oh dear. So... Jonah Hex, the comic book character, was originally sold into slavery to an Apache tribe and eventually gained their respect. There's stuff that he did to gain their respect and sort of became like an official member instead of being quote unquote a slave. I'm sure slave in that context means something a little bit different than what we're talking about. It's different from like the system of chattel slavery as it was practiced in the South on black people. and Native Precisely. Americans. But that does come in later because he did originally intentionally join the Confederate States Army uh, and he was a lieutenant, blah, 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 blah. And he was close friends with Jeb Turnbull, which we get in this story. But later on, when the Emancipation Proclamation is, is declared, he realizes I'm not comfortable with slavery. I don't like this slavery thing and I can't do it. I cannot be part of the Confederate States because they support slavery, I'm out. And so he basically leaves, and that's how the conflict happens, is it's him trying to stop the existence of slavery and fighting against his former compatriots on the subject primarily of slavery. So the comics actually deal with this. And I'm not suggesting that they deal with it perfectly or anything like that, but there, it's it's explicit. It's explicit that this is part of his reason for why he, he left the Confederate States is he was never comfortable with slavery and he eventually had to shift his loyalty because he couldn't handle it. This film, as you said, Alex, does everything it can to completely avoid that conversation. Even, even when the black characters show up in the story, it still 
doesn't want to talk about it. It like it, it does everything it can. It's like it's like struggling to get around it. It's this this elephant that's in the room and they're trying to like climb over it constantly. And it is super frustrating because to me it feels like this film basically wimped out. It wimped out. Oh god, hardcore. Fucking hardcore. Yeah, as you said, it didn't want to have the conversation. Yes, we'll have, we have we'll have a couple of black characters, and they're going to Washington D.C. because they're proud to be Americans, and now we're free. And yeah, and, so it, and yet here, um, you have Jonah Hex running around in an old Confederate uniform, fighting another Confederate general, and yeah. And I will note too that in the comics, Jonah Hex is is more like a like a Punisher figure, in, in that he goes after. He basically protects the innocent. That is his moral code. He's not always liked by everybody because of his methods, but his moral code is he protects the innocent. In this film, we see him effectively protect the innocent, but he's basically hated by everyone because they all think he's an evil bastard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he gets he gets a bounty on his head. He's a bounty hunter. He gets a bounty on his head. He's an anti-hero at best. Right. I I will say, like, I mean, it makes me extra mad to know what could have because, like. They could have easily, like, they had plenty of runtime to play with. They could have easily incorporated that backstory from the comics, and it would have made him, like, a much more interesting character where you would have been like, I understand where his moral standing is. But what they did, like, when they weren't just trying to pretend, like, you know, not even talk about the Confederacy. It was all very much like lost cause narrative, which just made me so angry. I was like, in fucking 2010, you're doing this? Okay, assholes. And then I'm just thinking about like, okay, I'm going to read the quote of like the nonspecific bullshit garbage that Jonah Hex starts this movie with, where we're like, it took me, it took me probably 20 minutes into the film before I realized that he was actually a Confederate. Because they were so, like, trying so hard not to go there. So, okay, first lines. War and me took each other real- took to each other real well. It felt like it had meaning. The feeling of doing what you thought was right. But it wasn't. Folks can believe what they like. But eventually a man's gotta decide if he's gonna do what's right. That choice cost me more than I bargained for. What the fuck is that? (laughs) It's pablum. I mean, it it is. It's total pablum. It is just like- they're trying so hard to be like, he's doing what's right, but we're not actually gonna clarify what is right because we don't want to mention, I don't know, the fucking, like, entire system of chattel slavery that destroyed count- countless lives and tortured people and killed them, and maybe he was uncomfortable with that? Like, what the shit is this? Yeah. It's just... It's it's just mind blowing what they did to, to try and and you're because of this like wishy washiness. I was sitting there going, I don't know what this dude's deal is because then later on they're kind of like, oh, he had a falling out because like the general wanted him to burn down a hospital or something, and I was like, where the fuck was he that he was gonna burn down a hospital? Whose hospital? They don't even fucking say. Yeah, it, it, and this is the the conflict that he has. With Jeb, right, when he meets Jeb, yes. or as I like right. to say, uh, uh, Dean and Sam's father. That that the conflict is like he had to kill him because he didn't follow orders and he was like, I can't do it. And he had to kill Jeb. In the comics, Jeb is a confederate and he actually, Jonah actually surrenders to 
the union, he's like, I, I can't do this. And the union tries to pressure him to give up where Jeb and, and the rest of his Confederate friends are. And he's actually reluctant and he doesn't want to. And they eventually get captured and he gets like tricked into basically helping Jeb escape because he doesn't want them to necessarily die either. He just thinks they're misguided, I guess. Mm hmm. And it all turns out to be a union trap of like we do we invented this idea that there's this escape tunnel so that they could use the excuse to shoot Jeb and all of them as though they're they're uh, fleeing prisoners right we're shooting fleeing prisoners rather than having to take them and actually deal with the normal rules of of engagement right when you 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 take uh, prisoners of war and they have to be treated in certain ways blah 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 or at least supposedly I don't know what it was like in the 1860s whatever. And that's like the story of his, as like what his relationship with Jeb is, is that it, Jeb is actually his friend and he tries to make sure that his friend doesn't get killed. Presumably, I guess the comics might deal with the idea that maybe he hopes that he can talk his friend into not supporting this institution anymore. I don't know. Uh, but that's the story. In this, it's like, no, he shoots him because over the hospital, it's like, well, that's like, that works, I guess. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to follow the order and kill a hospital, but it doesn't have the same weight. Like, they, they never even explain why he would need to shoot his friend because of this. Especially because when he does resurrect Jeb, you're like, this does not seem like a guy who'd be like, oh yeah, bitches, let's go burn he down a hospital. He doesn't, right? It, at all. He helps him. Like, it doesn't make sense as, as, yeah. as a character. It's like, but he seems pretty chill actually all things maybe it's because he spent all that time in hell after dean and sam weren't able to save him from the yellow-eyed demon but i don't know like it just it it doesn't feel like a character that at one point was like oh yeah yeah fuck a hospital we don't need to have any rules of engagement you just shoot that shit that doesn't it does it, there's a lot of this film as it just takes shortcuts to get to whatever the next plot piece is and this is one of them that uh, your whole your whole dislike, Alex, yeah. is one of them. Like this film could have been at least had the the moral courage to actually present that this is this is a moral question about slavery. So that when we get to this one random black character who happens to supply him all his weapons, maybe you make that character more significant. Like, I, I feel like a lot of the lack of plot is, is just kind of laziness. But this is the one where you're like, no, this is yeah. abject cowardice. And and I just want to, for, for a moment, just draw the comparison right here between this movie and Wild Wild West, which is by right? no means a good movie. No. But it takes no. place in the same time period and deals with the same issues like ex-Confederates wanting to blow up the Union while Grant is president. And, and I am not saying, you know, certainly listen to that podcast. It, that movie got some problems, but it at least is like, so the Confederacy believed in slavery and that was bad. Like it had the moral courage to say that, unlike this movie. Sl slavery is bad. Wow. What a, what, what a, what a stand to say. Right? Well, I mean, the characters have conversations like about it. I mean, they're sarcastic, snarky conversations, but that's... I mean, it's it's omnipresent in the story. You can't ignore the fact that Jim West mm -hmm. is a black man in that story because so many of the white people he meets are, I mean, effectively clan members. I mean, they may not literally be members, card carrying, but they, they could be. I mean, he almost get hung at one point in the story. Yeah, like Wild Wild West is not shy about being like, these, these fucking white people were racist as shit. Right. Like... And that's not even controversial. It's apparently, like, not a thing in Jonah Hex. 
which is like was made more recently, you know, when when the United States reformed into Wokistan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so strange to me because it's not it's not actually controversial. People in 18, the 1860s were racist. Yeah! I, I, I'm just like, to me, it's flabberg... Like, I don't understand where the moral cowardice is actually coming from here. This 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 is just a period of time. Like, nobody would say, oh, 1860, like, we were totally woke back then. That's not a thing anyone would say about the 1860s. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's, you know, even back in the 1860s, there were people who were like, wow, you know, hey, slavery was bad, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, they right. didn't even manage that level of, like, you know, they were just like, we're just not going to talk about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even the example of the, the crooked politician that they have as a as part of uh turnbulls oh the whiskey whiskey guy guy. yeah yeah the the, yeah the whiskey guy you know like they don't even have like the courage of saying like well maybe he he was a former real supporter of the confederacy he's just like this crooked politician who's kind of on their side because he's he's afraid that apparently turnbull is going to destroy his collection of 200 year old whiskey or whatever it is yeah yeah, it, I mean, even his character doesn't even have, like, that weight of somebody who actually is from that era, someone who maybe before the war was pro-Confederacy, but then changed and, and isn't necessarily on board with the whole United States thing, but had to sort of read the times. Or or at least maybe a copperhead. That, that, would, have, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Really, what we're saying is we could have made this film better if they just hired us. Yes, I mean, yes, they could have. <laughs> they might have. I mean, I feel like someone with like a junior high school history education should have could have made this movie better. Like, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Because yeah. apparently the entire Civil War was just because people in the South didn't like being told what to do. Oh, parentheses God. about yeah. slavery. Slavery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, it's baffling. It's fucking baffling that this movie was made in 2010. I don't know. It honestly just feels like it needs to be set at in like an alternate reality where the Civil War never happened and slavery ended in like 1779 or something. Yeah. And, and then the Civil War could have just been like, you know, the North being like, well, you should clean your room. And the South being like, I don't want it. And no. then they fought a war over it. <laughs> And that's, and yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's what he, Turnbull's mad about. It's like, I didn't want to clean my room. I mean, I'm not going to do it. That seems to be all he's pissed about. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, his and son and, did and, get and, killed. And, so. know, but, but even before his son dies, he's killing civilians left and right and bombing hospitals. It's like, what is your problem, man? And, and, and I mean, I will note, Turnbull is killing civilians left and right and bombing hospitals in the most joyless way I've ever seen John Malkovich, you know, perpetrate right. mayhem. <laughs> he's not even having fun. Yeah, he's not chewing any scenery. He's not even gumming it. No, he's just like, no. well, I guess this is a paycheck. <laughs> it's weird because, you know, Josh Brolin is, I think, actually really trying to put an effort in and he's got this prosthetic and the way he talks is sort of like rooted in the prosthetic on his face. And it's just weird to watch them like side by side where it's just it's just John Malkovich. They put a wig on him and said, say some lines. Yeah. And Josh Brolin was like, I didn't shave for a month. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I slept in these clothes. Like, I don't know. I slept in a pigsty with my dog. 
Anyway, so that's my dislike. It's Paul's turn. <laughs> All right, Paul, what's your dislike? <laughs> okay, we might wind up in another little conversation about this. Maybe not. But my dislike is that this movie doesn't understand in 1876 or understand in general. I mean, we're talking about alternate, alternate United States. How about the lack of any sense of geography in this movie? Thank you! It's like, what I couldn't understand half the time how where things were taking place or how they were getting from point A to point B. He's working in the Wild West. Then he's winding up. That had, then he somehow got to Louisiana. Then he's in Georgia or South Carolina. It was South and, Carolina. It was South Carolina where the fight tent is. And he's told, oh, oh no, you know, he has to go northeast. No, southwest. And it's like... And then suddenly we get from there, jump to Virginia, and imaginary point is like, do you realize how long it would take to get from South Carolina to Virginia, even with on a, a horse? Train? On a horse, much less a train. I mean, it wasn't even taking the trains. Like, and like, how is Turnbull getting around on these things? I mean, Turnbull. I like to know how Turnbull does his logistics in this world, where he's just casually moving around the country with with giant amounts of munitions, and nobody notices. I mean, he hijacks a train. And then nobody notices he's got this train steaming across the south. It's like, it seems, it feels like everything's within 50 miles of each other instead of 500. And it's like, that's not how geography works. Even, even in a modern day, that wouldn't work well, unless you, much less 1876. I mean, at least the Wild Horse movie, it took time to get to places. And that was part of the plot points. They were stranded at one point in the Wild West and it was like, long distance away from the action how to get there i mean this movie has no sense of where where is that cemetery that he keeps going to it's like where was anything i could not i mean we see one little map of where fort resurrection is sitting on a peninsula and that's about the only geographical reference we get everything else i couldn't tell you where anything is from anywhere in this movie and that's bad bless you paul it was I felt like I was going nuts watching this movie, trying to figure out where the fuck they were at any given moment, especially once the train robbery thing happens and they're like, oh, you've got 10 days. And I'm like, there's no fucking way he could even get to South Carolina in 10 days, let alone like three other places and then South Carolina. And then and then Virginia and Washington, D.C. is like time, your time frames and. Like, yeah, that just all did not work at all. I mean, even if you had a, even if you had an ironclad going up the, opening up the coast, a steam engine wouldn't do it out quite that well. Shit was, was slow. Those, and and I, I will also note just like as, as I mean, it's like kind of a picky detail maybe, but he keeps talking about what the Crow Indians, right? Before they, before they got forced off their land, to the best of my knowledge, the, the, the Crow tribe lived kind of, like, in northern Ohio, and then they got forced, like, up into Manitoba and, like, the Dakotas? So where the fuck was all that going on? Why were there teepees? How did he get to the plains? I don't know. (laughs) It's like, I mean, I mean, presumably if these, if these are remnants of Indian tribes in the southeast, which they aren't, because by this time they're all been pushed out by the Trail of Tears, like, what the hell are they, where are they supposed to have been? No, that the, the, they've all gone. That 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 was done decades ago. It's like no. And I mean, and this also does like slot in with with Sean your complaint about the sort of like aesthetic incoherence of the landscape because you can tell what was filled. Like if you go look at the location list on 
for this movie. It's like Louisiana and California. And you could tell what was filmed in Louisiana, which I guess gets to stand in for the entire South, which is a large geographic area that doesn't all look like Louisiana. And then what is California pretending to be the South? It's not good. I mean, it's pretty, but it's not good. Great, great that Louisiana is a little more diverse than people give it credit for, but I, I mean, it's not all by you. That is kind of pushing the point, but I mean, I mean, there is there is even a roadside geology of Louisiana book, believe it or not. So there's enough, there's enough oh, yeah. variety in Louisiana to actually be able to try to make that kind of work. But yeah, I guess the Louisiana tourists would have really got really wanted this movie film there and got got the denarii for it or vice versa. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's visually very obvious. You get the Spanish moss kind of look of New Orleans, and then all of a sudden it's it's those sort of rippling hills of California. Yeah, and you're like, the Appalachians don't fucking look like that. Sorry. <laughs> they don't. And so there there is a problem here because this, this film, ju- because you said, right, it jumps between all these locations. We're, we're, there's no sense of like these things are we're, we're filming them in a way that makes them seem coherent to each mm-hmm. other it just seems like what we've done is we've like contracted the united states into to take your 50 mile example but like basically 50 miles any direction and that's the united states now at least at least write your film so that you you make sure that all of your sequences are done in a place that seems kind of like it looks like the place you're in like to be honest i like, I don't even need them to give me, like, I mean, the, the incoherent landscape makes you a little, like, it, it bothers you if you know what it should look like. But honestly, at this point, all I want from them is to give me some kind of, like, super title. I mean, it doesn't need to be as, like, over-enthusiastic as the ones in The Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Marvel movies. like yeah. where, where it just tells you where the fuck we are. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think that would probably be better. I mean, I would notice the difference, but at least I could maybe, like, trick my mind to let it go. But you're right. This And this this film does have problems, like the, the Crow Indian problem, which we've talked about, right? That they're, you know, Ohio, like Winnipeg, you know, North Dakota area before they eventually are moved. And it's like, but that's nowhere near anywhere that we happen to be. And so it's it's a little bit confusing just geographically of like, when did exactly did he meet the Crow Indians? And, and like, how did this all happen in like 10 days? It's literally impossible. Like, it doesn't tell us, right? Like, so so he meets the Crow Indians. Is it because his wife was Crow? Because we learned later on that he married a Native American woman, at least in the in the film. I, I'm going to say, I by the way, I, I fucking love how their their indication that, by the way, he married a Native American woman is, to my recollection, they never actually, like, have him say it. It's just they show us a shot of her where she has, like, her hair back and she's got kind of, like, some Native American decoration, like, <laughs> in her hair and her earrings. Yeah, and it is half-assed. Like, okay. Like, and this is, again, a, a, the moral cowardice because in the in the comics he does marry a, a Native American woman because he's he's raised in... In a, in a in a tribal group and so that it makes sense right as if he's accepted into that group he would eventually marry or uh, somebody from that group this film obviously doesn't deal with that and so it's an interesting idea and when it does show up in the film i i kind of liked it because at least it softened the blow of this like magical indian narrative that they were going with but it's not yeah, enough yeah explain at least explain why they would resurrect him and give him new powers 
I, I did want to note um, the the lady who plays it's Cassie, right? Is is his wife who never actually gets to do anything, but like I think yell his name as she gets burned Died. alive. <laughs> yeah, I will basically. note that she was played by Julia Jones, who is um, Native American. According to her biography. Well, at least they got. That's that cool. So at least there's that. You know, she was in the the movie for approximately 30 seconds and then got set on fire. Yeah. Repeatedly. So that, <laughs> so that Jonah Hex <laughs> could be sad. <laughs> okay. So I guess we have to get to my dislike to end this show because we've been at this for a while. Yes, you, we do. I mean, it's it, we, we've gotten some good discussions of the, the various badnesses of the show, of the movie. There is certainly a lot. One of the things I think that th- there's an example of this, and I, I'm going to have basically two dislikes. That's cool. I've had two now. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. One is like a historical thing, and one is related to kind of what we're talking about, which is that, you know, visually this film is like we're in the West, but like, it sort of feels like we're just kind of there. We're not really, there's not any effort to kind of enhance it to like, let's make it really Western or let's make it like supernatural Western and we'll make it super stylistic. And the example I, I feel is the, the music because part of the music yeah. is made, uh, you know, it's it's partly composed by Marco Beltrami, who's a really good music composer. And he, apparently he, de- I assume he does all of the non-rock stuff, but Mastodon is actually the band that does much of the composition for what I think must be all the rock things, which band like Mastodon doing the stuff that they did for this film is honestly, in my opinion, some pathetic bullshit because this stuff is like, if you imagine like the 2000s, remember the 2000s, you went to go see like a movie with supernatural themes and they would be like, we're going to be different. And so we're going to have some hard rock and it'd be like, and that would be the bit. And that would that would be what would be different, quote unquote, about the scene. And this film does this all the time. Is there an action sequence? Great. Hard rock. And it's like, yeah, we're corn, but not as interesting. Corn, but not as interesting. Apparently it broke Paul a little bit. That's amazing, though. But you're right. Like, but I'm right. The music in this is so bizarre because it it wants to go to that next level of being like, let's just be like anachronistic and let's have this, you know, like supernatural powers don't exist. So we're in the West, but it's like the West with like modern musical stylings, but they don't even have like the courage of making it actually interesting and like letting Mastodon actually do some wild hard rock metal stuff. They just sort of like, no, we just want like some guitar riffs. They don't even have, like, the audacity of, like, at least have lyrics where someone screams into the the mic something. And that's, like, part of, I think, what, like, the aesthetic is, like, they, they, like, if you get zero to ten, they went to, like, three and a half, and they were like, you know, that's enough. And this film needed to go to, like, nine. It had to go to that level so that at least, like, yeah, the story's not exciting, but the style is really, Mm -hmm. like, compelling. And we're just, like, really drawn in. And it doesn't want to do that. There's a moment when you think what this film is going to be, which is when Jonah Hex, in the very beginning, uh, after after his like monologue, right, when he he goes to turn in a bounty for these three people, and they try to stiff him, and then they try to like trick him and shoot him, and he pulls on his horse these two Gatling guns. Like that was an amazing moment. It jumps the shark so quick, and you're like, that's going to be the film from yeah, now on. Yeah, that was like some like... wild, wild west shit, and I was like, I am here for this, and then like nothing. Yeah. The rest of the film, by comparison, gets increasingly more tame. Keep in mind, the very first, they didn't start with the crossbows that shoot dynamite. 
honestly, kind of weak tea, but kind of neat fun. If that's where they started, that would have been fine, and then you end with the horse with the fucking Gatling guns. Mm-hmm. But they start with Gatling guns, and then they move to the uh, the crossbow dynamite, and then they end with him basically punching a guy. Like, they go backwards. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, they have that, yeah, they have that one little Matrix sequence, and they, but yeah, but it's a devolution. Yeah, they, they don't save the good stuff for last. They blow it at the beginning, and can't sustain that sort of level of Wild Wild Westness because because the movie just doesn't want to take any chances in deciding what it actually wants to be. So it kind of like to like sits in a, a mushy middle of not wanting to reach out to engage in things about slavery, the Civil War, the South, Native Americans, or even steampunk or even supernatural. It just just doesn't want to do anything. It just wants to sit there like a, like a cold, undigested lump of bad casserole in your stomach it's like some it's it's like your friend who does like half-ass effort but expects to get full praise for it yeah it that's what this film feels like it's half-assing it it half-asses everything and and poor josh brolin isn't and and he's about the only one who isn't in this entire production and actually i'm sorry i just need to backtrack one minute to a geography thing that that has been bothering me (laughs) and and, i mean it's not like geography geography but it's geography adjacent Okay, so when the train is, that that has the weapon on it for reasons is traveling along, <laughs> and yeah. Turnbull's henchmen are on it, and they they show up and they, you know, it's the two guys who pull their masks down, and then they shoot some of the Union soldiers, and then they reveal that they have dynamite vests. Can someone please explain to me how the fuck these dynamite vests are connected by a line to? The, the the trigger box that Michael Fassbender has miles down the fucking track because I am so confused. I will explain it to you. I will explain because you're right. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so we're shown very briefly that the dynamite that's uh, that actually blows up the, the car is actually on the tracks. And that's what he blows up. So when they the car, oh, and then that makes the vests go up. Yeah, because I was I was very confused. It it also doesn't okay, make sense. Like, you. why do they need to be on the car then? There's there's yeah. there's no need for them to be there. They could just blow up the car. Also true. Like yeah yeah. But you you again you're expecting a bunch of guys who are semi led by a crazy Irish Magneto to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, can I give you my last dislike and then we have to grade and close? Yes, please do. Yes. I just thank you for explaining that to me because it was bother. It has been bothering me all day. You're, you're welcome. I've seen it twice, so I I think I have made sense of all the things that don't make sense. So the last dislike for me, and it's just a thing that really bugged me from a a history perspective, and I know that Paul will agree with me, but the end sequence when they attack Washington and there is just one ship, just one. One ship of the US, entire U.S. Right. Navy sitting the in the Potomac. Navy. One whole I just Navy. want to point out that the United States in 1876 has already experienced the burning down of the entire fucking White House. And so there, there certainly would be incentive to be extra protective of the White House, certainly by sea. And also, the U.S. had a Navy. So where is it? There, there's no navy, and the whole time that whole sequence when they attack the city, I'm like, "Where's the navy? Where's the navy? It's nowhere." Like, apparently, the navy went on vacation, which also doesn't make sense because the president is literally giving a talk at the White House. It's like a big to do, 
and yet the Navy is completely absent. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, shockingly makes no sense given that the United States had for a hundred years up to this point dealt with the fact that having no Navy was bad news bears if you wanted to protect your communities. So where is it? I, I will note that there were naval battles fought for the Civil There were! Yeah, there was also Navy, na- naval naval interests going on at the same time. In 1874, American vessels were messing around in Hawaii, and in 1876, they were messing around in Mexico, and so, yeah. Well, see, maybe they were all in Hawaii at the oh, time. Oh, got it. <laughs> they were all vacationing and in And they Hawaii. never left until um, Pearl Harbor. Got it. 1873, U.S. forces landed in Colombia with the U.S. Navy. So, I mean, that's all years before this actual thing. So, yeah, so it's not like there's like one wiki boat sitting in the U.S. Navy. The U.S. is trying to enforce the Monroe Doctrine at this point and trying to keep European powers from getting back in now that that all South America and Central America are independent. So, yeah. so, So, yeah, so we have this terrorista. We know he's going to mess up something somewhere because they talk about only oh, there's 20 locations he could attack. He might attack Washington, D.C. So maybe you want to protect Washington, D.C. with some armed forces, including maybe some naval forces on the Potomac because it is a navigable river to that point. Maybe? Crazy thought. Yeah. Anyway, let's like pull it back in. Pull it back let's in. Little, let's back pull, onto pull, pull, this yeah, sad We got to grade it. We got to grade it. Final thoughts and grades. We got to do this. <laughs> so, Alex... Your final thoughts in grade go. I mean, I will say that that of now the the three Western movies I have watched for torture cinema, Jonah Hex is by far the most disappointing, and in a way, it's kind of showed me the error of my frustrations with Wild Wild West and Gala Walkers, because both of those movies were at least attempting to have an idea and do something. Whereas Jonah Hex as a film, a mercifully short film, <laughs> is so abjectly cowardly that it slinks around for about 82 minutes or 81, depending on, you know, like how long your credits are, I guess, and tries so hard to never actually make a statement about anything aesthetic or moral or plot, or character, or otherwise. It's fucking sad. And the only thing that saves it is the fact that it is so short. And Josh Brolin is trying really hard. Bless his heart. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, it's really weird for me. Because, actually, I came into this podcast not actually hating the movie as much as I hate it now after we've talked about it. Sorry. <laughs> it's not actually that abjectly of an of an annoying film to watch, mostly because it's short and it's snappy and it moves. But then once you talk about it, you're like, oh no, this film is f- fucking cowardice, you know, on a on, on digital streaming. So I think just actually for that, for for its complete lack of any convictions at all, despite the fact that it was competently made and also only 82 minutes long, once again. I'm actually going to give it an F. Whoa. Just because I want it to make a fucking choice and stick to it, even if it's wrong. Like Gallo Walkers and Wild West. At least they had a fucking point of view. Alex, is, Alex has a point, a solid point there, a solid case to make. Darn tootin'. I rest before the court. <laughs> Excellent. 
Paul, what about you? Final thoughts and grade. Um, Alex, Alex encapsulated a lot of the problems I had with this movie. The movie, the movie is a mushy middle and doesn't know what to do and don't want to do and doesn't do anything with it. It wastes, it wastes a whole suite of actors except for Josh Brolin, who, as we said, tries his bloody hard out to actually make this thing work, but Josh Brolin can't carry an 82 minute movie that doesn't want to be carried. It's, it's like dragging, it's like dragging a a catalog with four flat tires it's just not going anywhere no matter how hard you try how many mm-hmm. the the more the more i think about this movie the more it annoys me it's like i mean yes it's yes i mean this is just indicative of of dc not knowing how to do movies but in just in different and just in a different way at least at least man at least man is still as much as i hate that movie with the passion of a thousand suns had a had a point of view i hated with the a passion, Superman the murderer, but at least on a point of view, this movie doesn't want to even try. It's it's such a wasted effort. Like I don't I have no desire ever to watch this thing ever again or even remember it. I mean if you if you can't get John Malkovich to chew your scenery or even gum the scenery, you're doing it wrong. Uh-huh. I'm going to I'm maybe maybe because I've consumed less alcohol, I'm gonna be nicer than Alex and be kinder with the grade so i'm going to give it an f plus i mean paul i just want to say that that i i concur with my esteemed colleague and i just i feel like this movie is the fucking encapsulation of i'm not angry i'm just disappointed except now i'm angry because i'm so disappointed <laughs> yes <laughs> i've come all right around again it's full circle absolutely well okay so for myself I feel like I'm going to be a little bit nicer, but not by much. And and solely because I think that this film is going to be, for me, mostly forgettable. I've seen it twice, and already I just feel like in about a year I'm not going to really remember it. Because it, because it is so cowardly, and it doesn't want to have substance, and it doesn't want to have a point really it doesn't want to explore anything or think about anything or have any stylistic fervor any of that to me wild wild west while a film that i recognize as very problematic and not a good film is so much fun to watch and is memorable because of the things that do make it really interesting even when it flops and fails this is a film that i just feel like fades into the background it's a film that loses any of its of its power over time and so for me i have to give it a d minus i just don't think that over time i'm gonna think about this film nearly as much as i might think about others of its similar genre like wild wild west or other films we have watched that i like twilight which i find like objectionable on so many different levels and actively painful to the psyche the this film is terrible it's not a good movie but it is I think for me, going to be a forgettable film. But that that makes my grading math easy, so we we average out back to an F plus. Correct. Nice. Yeah. F for forgettable. F for forgettable. F for forgettable. <laughs> but hopefully, listeners, you will not forget us. I, I've already forgotten this movie because I had my second beer. It's fine. <laughs> well, okay, folks. So thanks so much to our Patreon supporters for picking this film out of the you list bastards. that I gave you. I I have still trying to learn how to manipulate our patron supporters to pick the film i want them ultimately to pick and uh so far i have failed miserably at this mission so 
it's really sad. Your, your charisma rolls aren't doing very well with uh, persuasion. <laughs> no, I have failed every persuasion check. It's terrible. Uh, so, uh, Alex, where can folks find you on the internet? They want to find you. Oh, so if you would like to find me and, you know, buy my books. Buy Alex's books. They're excellent books. There are westerns that have, there, there's a space western that has much more of a point of view than this fucking movie. Yes. It's uh, katsudon.net. If you, so katsudon, like the Japanese food, or alexaxe.com, and I am on Twitter at katsudonbury. Awesome. And Paul, what about you? I have my website, princejustinwithav.com. I'm on Twitter at princejustin. I have a patreon.com slash princejustin. I'm on Instagram. I'm all over the internet. I'm on, I was just saying before this podcast that I had three podcast episodes released today that I am on. I was on a Skippy and Skippy Fanty podcast. I was on a SF40 podcast. And there was a game podcast I was on today. So yes, I, I am a very busy boy. You can you can find me very easily on the internet. It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. Avoiding me is the trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but who would want to do that? Yeah, Paul's too delightful for that. As for myself, you can find me SeanDuke.net or at Sean Duke on the Twitters or my new Patreon at patreon.com slash the Joy Factory. And if you want to support this show or check out all the things that it has, skiffyfanty.com, at skiffyfanty on Twitter. We're also on Facebook and elsewhere. We have a newsletter, skiffyfanty.com slash newsletter. And if you want to support this show, you can do so in two ways. Leave us reviews on iTunes and also go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. $3 and up lets you join us for our Discord live chats where we talk about the torture cinema film. But $1 and up lets you vote so you can at least torture us. God help us all. (laughs) I I want something that I can hate, like, as I'm watching it, instead of hate in retrospect when I realize how fucking cowardly it was. Yes, that's that's preferable to have the the bile urge while watching, not afterwards in regret, like, oh, God, that was terrible. (laughs) Well, just you wait, Alex. The Skiffy and Fanty poll for our holiday special is already scheduled it'll go up about a week or so after this podcast drops and it has some doozies i want you to tell me what they are so that tell me what they are right now so i can send a psychic message to the listeners so i can attempt to manipulate them by telling them the thing i least want to watch you okay i have to actually pull them up so hold on (laughs) yes i want to know i want to know what torture awaits for us What potential torture because listeners it's it's pretty likely that either Alex or I will be on that episode. Maybe both of us. Very possible. <laughs> well, especially if it's a Western, because apparently we are the Western crew. We've all got hats. That's true. So Alex has demanded to know what is on the torture cinema poll for a holiday special, which will drop on the 11th of December at 1159 PM. Uh, excuse me. That's when the poll ends. It drops on the 7th at 5 PM. Okay. Excuse me. The Santa Claus 2. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, the Christmas that almost wasn't from 1966. I don't know that one at all. The Nutcracker and the Four Realms from 2018. I don't know that one either. That sounds... I vaguely remember it existed. That's all I know. I feel like we could make a lot of really inappropriate jokes about that one. Probably. Yeah, let's let's not. (laughs) And the last film... On the poll is Santa Claus from 1959. I mean, I feel like the one that I want to watch least out of that group is probably the Santa Claus 2, but I, I feel like if, 
Oh, wait, no. The one that David really hates is, is Ernest Saves Christmas. Damn. We've already done that one. Oh, God. We we, we did that one. It, I believe I gave it an F minus. My yes. worst grade ever for this it's, Well, show. I feel like there is not a movie in the world that David Annandale hates more than, than Ernest Saves Christmas. And I was going to be like, oh, make it the one that David would have to be on. But I, I don't feel like he'd hate any of these as much as he hates Ernest Saves Christmas. Okay. Well, we got to stop this thing. We've been recording long enough. So thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks for supporting the show. And uh, I will just note that for the rest of this week, I will be wearing a prosthetic Jonah Hex on my face just because I want to, to scare my neighbors. Do you mean like like his face or do you mean like like a tiny Jonah Hex that is attached to your face? I feel like the latter of those is creepier. So we're going to go with that. Well, 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 if you're properly social, social distancing, no one will notice. <laughs> yeah, wear a mask, Sean. God. <laughs> That's right. I'll wear, I have to wear it extra large because it has to fit around his little, his little head. Well, on that note, everybody, <laughs> awkward ending and scene. You're welcome, citizens. You're welcome. Stay frosty. It's, it's winter. <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. You can also find us on our website, skiffyandfanty.com, and on Twitter, at skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The music for this episode comes from Sphere by Creo. You can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.